There is a reason why God puts restraints on earth for a purpose. You don't break God's laws, they break you. God puts designs in for a reason, which is why you have to get vision and understand what those designs are. So when you get out of God's design, you go out of your mind. You literally will go crazy. At some point, some way. You may make it till your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s or 80s before you realize it. My challenge for you is to realize it now. So many times I say to myself at 51, man, I wish I knew then what I know now. Do any of you ever say that? The older you get, the more you say, I wish I knew then what I know now. Well, here's a great newsflash for you. You can know now what I know now and what so many other mothers and fathers and those that you can imitate your life by. You have to have spiritual examples in your life to show you so you can learn sooner than later. What maybe took me 10, 15, 20, I've been a born again Christian 30 years and I've made a lot of mistakes, but what took me so long, you could learn so short if you'll heed and listen. If I tell you, do not touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove. But some of y'all are like, I'm touching that stove. (laughs) And after you get burned so many times, you finally figure out and realize and learn the stove's hot. I better stop touching it. But see, God puts designs and standards for a reason in the word. There's a reason why marriage should only be between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. There's a reason why abortion should be illegal. God puts those standards in place to preserve and protect life, and he knows what's best for you. But if you can't see it and you don't get a vision from heaven and understand God's word directly, you're not going to understand it. And it's our job as the church to help people understand it. So you have to be extremely careful about what you see in the world and the way the world is combusting. Even though I celebrate and I thank God for this decision in my lifetime. This is a historic lifetime decision. Even though I thank God and I rejoice for that, my heart is still grieved. And I'm grieved because of the, the brokenness and the pain and the hurt and the division against God and against God's people and against God's standards in the world and what it's doing to them because they don't know. But the Bible says, how are they ever going to know without a preacher? Somebody has to stand up for truth and life and do it in love. And when, you know, for a long time, I've stayed the course in standing against abortion. It hasn't been my number one life mission. My number one life mission is to bring healing and life and freedom to the hearts of people, to teach people to be flamed on and spirit led. Because if you get flamed on and you become spirit led, you'll abide by the standards of God. And you'll live a life full of freedom and joy. But I've stood the ground and I've held the line. But you got to continue to hold the line in love. It needs to be hodl, hold the line in love. What's it going to take to get y'all to laugh and smile today? Wow. I know it's an intense topic, but the truth is, is we celebrate, but we also still have an even greater job to do. And I believe genuinely that God wants to reverse the curse in our lives and in this nation. I love the United States of America for a lot of reasons. Let me tell you some of them. One, because I was born here and this is the nation that I'm a part of and I care about it. 
The Bible says to pray for the prosperity and the peace of Jerusalem, but also to pray for the peace and prosperity of the place that you live in. You become the fruit of where you live. You become the life-giving force of where you live. I didn't like Corpus Christi when I first got here. I said, God, why would you ever bring me to this, what I felt like was a God-forsaken place? I'm like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Corpus Christi. (laughs) But I said, God, if you called me here or called to whatever city you live in, then you have to have God's heart for that city. And I said, God, if you, I know you called me here. Give me a heart for this city. And now there's no place else that I would rather live because I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. See, destiny is not an end by and by pie in the sky. Destiny is being exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Because some of you are living somewhere else in your heart, but God puts you in a place for a purpose and a reason. And then you're constantly living of how can I get out of here? The crime, the struggles, the poverty, the issues, the bureaucracy, the government dysfunction. No, God actually puts you in those kind of places to make a difference where you're at, not run off to some other place that you think is going to be better because they may have prettier parks and prettier sidewalks and more pride in their city. But trust me, the sin issues are still there and the darkness is there. It just looks different. It's just masterated. So God puts you in a place to make a difference. And the options that I had would be, you know, try to be popular, try to win the hearts of the people, don't be divisive, don't be offensive, and don't get involved in governance and fight for our nation. That's not a good option. I had to make the decision a long time ago, and you will too. Biblically, the Bible says if you're ever going to choose to live a godly life, you will suffer, suffer persecution. That's right. God already put the standard in place. God's word in and of itself will be offensive but not to the one that's broken and surrenders all, not to the one that's at their end. So God has a way of bringing people to their end. You just need to be the net and you need to stand firm in preaching truth in love and power and living your life by an example. I'm gonna teach you here in a minute. It literally means producing fruit in your life worthy of repentance. And so when we surrender all to the Lord, our lives look differently. And then you do whatever it takes. Let's say this together. Say, when you answer your call, or let's say this way, when I answer my call, I I forsake all. all. There has to be a forsaking all. And that's why when God comes into your life, he brings this prophetic vision from heaven to identify and direct and put you into your purpose. Some of you have no idea the purpose and we're looking for it in books, purpose-driven life. We're looking for it in manuals and how to live better and maybe even in a sermon. The truth is, is if you don't get a prophetic revelation and vision for yourself, you're never going to be restrained and you're never going to live happy to fulfill what God has for you. It's Proverbs 29, 18, I believe. Yeah. So if you don't get a revelation from heaven or another way to say it is prophetic vision, you'll never live restraint. The problem is, is the deceptive lie of the world is that I was, that I don't ever want to be restrained. I looked at religion and Christianity as a straitjacket lifestyle, as restrictive in a way that I didn't want to be. I'm an 80 product of the 80s. I lived a life of challenge everything. I lived a life where true freedom is doing anything that you wanted, that I want to do. But that's the deceptive lie. Doing anything you want to do will kill you. It's actually not freedom. 
It may feel like freedom. I can smoke whatever, drink whatever, toke whatever, sleep with whoever, party, watch whatever, do whatever. And the truth is, is though you may have that freedom, in the end, it's going to kill you. So God puts restrictions in for a purpose to preserve you. But notice the scripture, happy is he who obeys God's laws or heeds wisdom instruction. So you can actually be restrained and happier than you ever were. But I never knew that. Restraint actually brings peace and joy and happiness to your life. I'm way happier when I'm not blasted and plastered. I'm way happier when I'm not addicted to watching someone else have sex. I'm way happier when I'm not fried out of my brains. I'm way happier in an awesome marriage with awesome kids and the fire of God in my life, which is way better than a toke, a mushroom, or a, a tab of acid. You never be afraid of restraint. Never be afraid of persecution. It's going to happen. Suffering, hardship, all has a design. The design makes you lean and mean and hungry and on fire and true to who Jesus was. It's like this scripture. This isn't in my message, but I'm making it a part of it right now. I want to say it's Colossians 1.24, but you can fact check that. Paul literally says, I store up the afflictions afflictions in my body that I would be like Christ and reveal Christ to the world and to the church around me. Now that's not a really a popular message, storing up afflictions in your body. Every one of us is subject to weakness. Newsflash. All of us are, <clears throat> which is why Psalm 23 says, hey, if I'm, it doesn't matter where I'm at. God makes me to, he makes me, he forces me to lay down. As long as you have lordship and you're his sheep, he'll force you to lay down in green pastures and go, man, this is so much better than where I was at before or leads you beside so waters because of righteousness sake, because he loves you, he restores your soul. And so the truth is, is whenever you're gonna make the decision to stand firm for truth in life, you're gonna be persecuted and afflictions will come and hardships will come, but it makes you more like Christ. You can't ever not go to the cross. All of us have to go there. All of us have to pay the same price. And we say, God, I, show me what you're doing. Show me what you're saying. Show me where you want me to go. I have no idea. And God's like, well, I've already shown you so many times. Just be obedient to what I showed you before. We want to live from next revelation to next revelation to next revelation, but we're not being true to the first revelation. That's why Hebrews 2.1 says, look, you better take earnest heed and pay attention to what you learned at first so that you don't drift away. There's no spiritual drifters in the kingdom. The good news about God, though, is if you do drift away, he takes you back a thousand times over. There's never an I love you not on the daisy. It's always I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. God just keeps taking you back because he's just that good. He's amazing. He's way better than you've ever known or imagined or ever thought. He is an awesome, awesome daddy. You know how I know? Because of failures, mistakes, and constant love. Constant forgiveness, constant mercy, constant grace. So God never backs down. But when he comes into your life, he gives you this vision, this prophetic download from heaven. So we're going to talk today about heavenly vision. Heavenly vision. Vision that comes from another place. So that you can see differently in the place that you're in. You've got to see differently. And when you see differently, you live differently. That's why without prophetic revelation or vision, what happens? You perish. And then you're not restrained. You know why I'm restrained? 
not because of my title, not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm restrained because God has given me a vision for generations to come and I have little children and a call of God on my life that I saw early on. So when I first gave my life to the Lord, sitting in a tore down apartment from a, from a category five hurricane in Miami, Hurricane Andrew, I was broke, busted, disgusted. I was facing prison time from a, for a third degree felony. And I cried out to God from all, all on my own, no preacher, no church. No. I said, God, if you're there, I need you help. And from that day forward, something shifted on the inside. Now, when I would go back to the clubs or I'd go, you know, do my charades at night and two o'clock booty calls in the middle of the night, all the stuff that I would do and that some of you might be doing, the truth is, is it was never the same. It never satisfied. Before it was like awesome. But then I'd go back, I'd go, go to the club. I went to the disco club. I'm just like, yeah, we had disco clubs then, but it was still eighties, not seventies. Calm down. Nothing would look the same. Here I'd be, I'd go to the reggae bars that I used to play reggae in and I'd be drinking Coronas and bumping and grinding and all of a sudden I'd hear a trumpet call and have a vision of lights in the street and here comes Jesus and I'm like suddenly terrified in fear. Now that didn't happen before because things aren't the same. Because now God comes in and the Holy Spirit comes in to admonish and direct and guide you back to the heavenly vision that he gives you. Now, some of you today don't know what that heavenly vision is, but I'm going to show you how to get it for your life. I'm going to show you how to stay the course for it. But you first have to see and understand that when you get a vision, it has a purpose. Everybody say with me, and then what? Now, your answer to all the things I'm about to say is, and then what? Man, I had a supernatural dream last night. Man, I was in worship today, and God started revealing himself, and I started crying. He started speaking about my life. Man, I was at kids camp this week, crying, watching the kids when I got the news. Man, I got a prophetic word at a conference. It was so absolutely life-changing. You can't get before the throne and wave your hand in the face of God and not get vision and direction for your life and do something with what God shows you. You must have a vision. Without it, you'll perish. You know what the word perish means? It's like, how many of you have lime trees or orange trees or fruit trees in your yard? Some of you. Okay, well, just picture that you had one. And the fruit is perfect, but you're lazy and you don't go pick it. What happens to that fruit? Well, first it falls off the tree onto the ground and then it rots. That's the picture of perish. Is that in time, the fruit becomes no good. It rotted. And that's why I say, God, you've given me so many visions about my life. I want to be found faithful and I want to be obedient to the heavenly vision. You've got to be obedient. Last week, I talked to you about how there's an inheritance on the other side of your obedience. Abraham, not knowing where he's going, was obedient to God to go out into the wilderness, to go to Canaan, not even actually knowing that it was going to be the promised land and dwelt there in tents with his children who were heirs to the promise. And when he got there, God calls him up to Mount Moriah, the same place that David would buy the field um, after the onslaught when he had the census and the same place where the Temple Mount is. So God had dots connected all the way back to Abraham. Did Abraham know it at the time? Was he obedient? Was there inheritance on the other side of obedience? I got chills just telling you about that. 
Every single one of us has to be obedient. And you know what happens in obedience, especially in the secret place and the private place? You get under the shadow of his wing in the public place. Do you know that you are all sitting under the shadow of God's wing right now? There's a wing over Rock City. There is. In my best day, I can't take credit for you being here. In my best day, I can't take credit for where this church has come. But I knew after I gave my life to the Lord early on, nearly 30 years, actually about 30 years ago, Hurricane Andrew will be celebrated, well, not celebrated, but be remembered 30 years this year. And it was Hurricane Andrew that wiped my house out. And it was from that storm my life was transformed 30 years ago. And I knew that I would be called to be a pastor one day. Did I have any idea how I would get there? No. Did I make a lot of mistakes on the way? Yes. But I learned to never give up. And I learned to stay the course. And I learned to cry out. And I learned that no matter how many times I fell, I would repent. And I learned to trust God. And I learned that when worship started, I would never sit down. Because if I could go do nine shots of tequila, Carlos and Charlie's in Cancun, on the table dancing to reggae and doing the bump and grind, I could come into the house of God and worship my face off no matter what I did last night. I can't give you a better analogy. Some of y'all love your concerts. You love your hip hop. You love your stuff. You go be drinking 40s and partying up and smoking your black and milds and you'd be the wild child, but you get into the house of God and you shut down and get all religious. I don't understand. Some of y'all are like, how did he know me? Yeah. <laughs> I only know because I have been there. I made the mistakes, but I never stopped because you think God's looking for your perfection. He's looking for authenticity and brokenness inside of you. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit because God can work with that. It's pride that goes before destruction. Let yourself be broken and present yourself as a sacrifice. Like we saying, let go of the old flame and grab onto the new flame. Some of you don't want to let go of the old flame, but God's got a better flame in front of you. And that's the premise of heavenly vision is that you had a vision before, but you were either blind or it was skewed. Let's talk about the apostle Paul for a moment, okay? Well, let me just say, I forgot one thing I was to tell you. For 30 years, I've been seeking the Lord intimately in the secret place no matter what. And I would go there. I learned a long time ago that when I sinned or fell short, don't run from him, run to him. Right. And that's what I want my kids to do. Because right. the deceptive lie is when your, your kids fall into shame. And that's why I tell you, there's no shame in your sin. The truth is, is you think nobody knows? Yeah. Chances are most likely there's people in here that could know, that could see, and I most likely know. But a long time ago, I said, God, Show me how to love perfectly so I could cover your sins the way you covered mine. Love covers a multitude of sins. When you feel safe and secure, you'll step into the light. But if you think the light's going to kill you, you'll stay hiding in the darkness. Come into the light as he is into the light. If we walk in the light as he in the light, we'll actually have true fellowship. Oh, you see all my issues? Congratulations. I see yours too. Why don't we love each other really well and let the blood of Jesus cover all of our sins? It's in the Bible. It's such a weird religious thing. I despise it. I'll be the first. Okay. What are you going to tell me? 
You're going to tell me something I've never heard? I don't know. I'm going to be so shocked. Now, maybe some of you might, but still, I will pay my, play my poker face to not let you know that I'm shocked. How's that? But we're all in it together and we're all rowing together. What's the difference? I'm not more anointed, more grace, more mercy. You have the same amount as I do. What, makes, what would make us different? I hid out. Everybody say, I'm hiding out. Say, I'm hiding out. I'm not talking about end time prepping in a bunker. And I'm not talking about isolating yourself. I'm talking about he who dwells in the secret place, the hideout. If you go to the hideout, some of you should call your intimate inner courtroom the hideout. Take it from the bars. I used to go to a bar called the hideout and shoot pool. Now I go to Jesus in the hideout. And when you dwell there and you come out, what happens? There's a wing over your head. You may not see it. And sometimes you won't feel it. But God's there, and it's you dwelling in the shadow of the wing. And you know what happens when you get in the shadow of the wing? The presence of God. And you know what makes this church special? Is no matter how much we, no matter the issues, God keeps showing up in this place. There's a cloud of God's presence, but the cloud needs a model. And the cloud brings vision to build a model, to build a model for your life. And so 30 years failures, mistakes. Shortly after I gave my life to the Lord, within two, two years, I got married. She, the, my, my previous wife had a little girl that I fell in love with. And shoot, I had been rescued and had the spirit of adoption. I fell in love with the little girl. She was toxic. It was a brutal marriage. It was abusive. It was terrible. And she committed adultery and I divorced her. All the way back in 1990. Seven, that's how far, that's how long ago it was. Yeah, 1997. And I thought it was over. I thought the vision had died, but the vision needed to die so that God could resurrect it better. And so you know what I chose to do? I chose to be obedient no matter what. And I went 13 years living upright and pure and staying the course no matter what. And look what God did because I had a vision. Now I have an amazing wife, an amazing family, businesses, and an awesome church, and it's hard. But I, man, I've already been through enough hardship. So have you. You can stay the course. You can hold the line. Because I had a vision. So think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. The Apostle Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. The Apostle Paul was trained, educated, and fully sure that when he was persecuting the church, that he was in the will of God. There's a lot of people like that today on YouTube. They look right, they sound right, but they're actually divisive to the church. They're not spirit-led, it's principles, it's right, not righteous, and it's tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it makes you feel good, but it'll kill you. Be very careful. And so the Apostle Paul was, what, he had what I would call the, the church's first great persecution, Great persecution against the church. Listen to some of the things that the apostle did before he had a heavenly vision. The apostle Paul did. Now you're going to read here that it's Saul, Paul. He didn't have a name change. Saul's Hebrew, Paul's Greek. Okay. Acts 8, 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Acts 22, 4 through 5. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. 
as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I have received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Acts 22, 19 through 20. So I said, Lord, see Apostle Paul talking. I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Acts 26, 9 through 11. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This also I did in Jerusalem and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my lot against them or my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy. Listen, he was a bad dude and he hated the church and he was religious. So he was getting people to blasphemy, lie, prison, death. I mean, he was on a mission. This was the earthly vision that he would have before a heavenly vision would invade his life. And he said, being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, there's people like this out there today. And it's really bad when they call themselves Christians. I call them Pharisaical Christians. They're super religious. They know the word, but they have no life and no power and they're divisive. And you have to be very, very careful of these people. Because at the end of the day, they're out to destroy the work of God in your life. And this is the way that Paul was. There's atheists out there. There's agnostics out there. And maybe some of you are, have very real issues with the church and Christianity. But when you know what the real church is supposed to be and what real Christ followers should look like, this is why the house of God is so important. Because the church becomes the contrast. The church must become the contrast. Judgment starts in the house of God so that we can look like him. And it's not a bad thing. Let judgment come. If we would judge ourselves, we won't fall in 1 Corinthians 11 into the condemnation or judgment of the world. Check yourself before you. It's like, man, here it is. Lay it all out. Get up at the altar. Leave it here. Cry out. Shed some tears. Be broken. God loves that. Don't hide, don't preserve, just be open before the Lord. And so Paul was on this crazy mission to destroy the church. And he was probably sure it was from God. That's why you must be careful about what you say, what you type. Love and love better. Love and love more. Take it to God. Take it to the Father. So Paul on his way to Damascus to imprison and to bring him back in chains to Jerusalem and blasphemy and tear down the church has a heavenly vision encounter. Let's read about it. Acts chapter nine, verse one through six. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse three, as he journeyed, he came to Damascus and suddenly a light shone all around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, I love this, who are you, Lord? Not counselor, not advisor, not anything else. Paul got the instant vision and revelation of the lordship and headship in Christ, but he still didn't fully know him. When you get born again, you instantly come into him and a full-grown Jesus comes into you. And now you become a son or daughter, but you have to learn what that means. You have to learn what's, who's inside of you and what that looks like in your identity over the course of time. You grow in your identity. You grow and discover who you are. It's like a tree. And some of you are so impatient. You're like, I got to know it all now. It's like, what's God want to do? What's he saying? Where's he at? Man, I gave my life to the Lord 90 days ago and I still haven't seen this thing happen. But you learn to stay the course and trust God like a seed in the ground. It sprouts as a little sapling. It takes a long time for a mighty redwood to become a mighty redwood or a big oak tree. You got to keep keeping your roots by the rivers of living water and keep staying the course no matter what other people do. You don't let anyone divert you. I've had pastors call me an Absalom. I've had people judge me. I've been called a cult leader. And those, you go to that church and somebody's like, oh, they didn't want to stay here and worship because we had flags, which we just really started doing a couple months ago consistently. And I said, I'm going to double the flags just for that. Don't double dog dare me or I'll, we'll get them everywhere. <laughs> so we're not a man pleaser. We're here to worship the Lord creatively and passionately and beautifully in the arts and in worship, whatever it looks like. And so the, Jesus says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Verse five, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? You guys know what it means to kick against the goad? So a goad is basically, back in that day, it was a little piece of timber that was flat on one end and sharp on the other. It was like a prodding stick. And you would use the goad or the stick to move the oxen in the field. But oxen are big and weigh thousands of pounds and sometimes can be extremely stubborn. And so if the ox isn't moving the right way or doing the work it's supposed to do or decides, I'm going to stop, what would the farmer do? Prod or poke with a goad. And if the ox got stubborn, what would the ox do? Kick back. The problem is, is every time the ox would kick against the goad, it would get stabbed even harder. And some of you have been kicking against the goad in your life like a stubborn ox and not being obedient to the true vision that the Lord has given you and saying yes. And you're wondering, you're blaming stuff on the devil. That's really the Lord poking you with the goad. And you're like, why is this happening? Because you don't break God's laws, they break you. Just say yes and surrender and cry out for mercy. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of mercy. And God says, mercy it is. Instead of death, mercy. Cry out to the blood and don't give up. But stop kicking against the goads. Atheists, Satanists, agnostics, people that have a call in their life. I see them all over the place at the gym. I'll look at somebody and I'll go, you have such a call on your life. Like you, you have such a call on your life. If you'll stop kicking against the goads, you're going to bloom and blossom and your family's going to just go to the next level and the call of God and what you're going to do and the history you're going to leave is going to be incredible. But the devil's worked on overtime through drugs and addiction and fears and worries and abandonment and all your childhood stuff that you've been staying there, but God keeps coming along and prodding you and poking you, doesn't he? He's poking you right now. All you got to do is say yes. 
The key is we have to stop kicking against the goad. Because here's what, notice Jesus's question. This just cracks me up. I'm going to say it to, I'm going to kind of say it this way. Let's role play with Mark. Let's say Mark's been really stubborn, really, really like insubordinate, obstinate, and a bullheaded hardhead. Let's just pretend. Let's just pretend. Let's just pretend. Let's just pretend. We're just pretending right now. We're just pretending. We are pretending. And Mark is like, problem, problem, problem. And I'm like, dude, is is it hard yet? Is it hard? Is this hard? That's how I see Jesus. It's like, oh, yeah. Is it hard to kick against the goads? Yes, it is miserable. I'm going to stop. Because kicking against God's prodding and direction and guidance, it's his mercy when he prods you. It's for your benefit when he redirects you. Because you can get redirected now by the goad of God or the world will redirect you in another way. Oh man, you should write that down. You understand? And I was redirected by the goads of the devil. Remember, demons drive you, but the Holy Spirit leads you. So after that, Paul couldn't eat or drink for three days. And I'm going to paraphrase the story. It's an amazing story. Paul can't, does not eat or drink for three days, and he's blind, blinded by the light. He goes to Damascus. He goes to Judas's house on a street called Straight. And while he's in prayer, two people have a vision. Ananias has a vision, and God directly speaks to him in the vision and says, go to Judas's, street, Judas's house on a street called Straight, and I want you to pray for a na- man named Paul, and I want you to pray that he would receive his sight. But then he also gets some additional instruction about what he's supposed to do when he receives his sight. And the instruction is, is he's going to represent his name to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to all the world, and he's going to suffer many things. So God, right off the bat, lets him know, you're going to be my rock star for the kingdom, but with it's going to come a lot of suffering. And so... Ananias would go and lay hands on Saul to receive his sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would then get water baptized. <clears throat> you can read in this scripture, in Acts 9, 15, and 16, we won't go there, about two baptisms. I get asked all the time, are there two baptisms? Yes, there are two. Can they happen at the same time? Yes, they can. Jesus was baptized in water, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove but there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ananias would lay hands on him. He would receive a sight and be filled with the Spirit, and then he'd go get water baptized. If you need any ammo, biblical ammo, to stand up for two baptisms, this is one of them, okay? And so we read in Acts 9, 17 through 20, and Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food and was strengthened, he spent some days there. And look at verse 20. It's what I really want you to see in this bank of scriptures. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Immediate 
vision requires immediate action. Now, it may take time, but we have, I have encounters and visions from the Lord all the time. One of the first things that I do is write them down because I don't want to forget. So I write it down. And then second of all, I'm obedient to what he tells me. A lot of times that means telling somebody else what I see. And that's what makes prophecy the most important gift to the church. Because when you look at somebody and you're listening and you're getting vision, a heavenly vision, sometimes it's for what you're supposed to do or for somebody else. But, but notice the second the scales fell off, he stayed a short time, like just a few days, and immediately he went right back to where he came from. And that's why I tell so many of you, when you give your life to Christ or God does something supernatural, tell somebody about it. Get it out there and don't be afraid and don't be ashamed to rejoice in the beautiful things that God has done for your life. The apostle Paul would go on to explain in further details what happened. Now, I'm teaching you this because a lot of people don't actually know the directive that the apostle Paul got. We only stop right there in what we just read in Acts chapter 9. But Paul would go on in Acts chapter 26 to give us a bunch more dialogue. It wasn't just, why are you kicking the goads? None of that. It was more. And so here's the more. Acts 26. While the apostle Paul was testifying on trial to King Agrippa, who was the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who actually killed all the firstborn children when Jesus was born, this is a great grandson. He's in Caesarea. It's a little uh, maritime city. And I w- got to go there. It's really cool. And so King Agrippa comes and actually puts Paul on the stand. And here's what he says. While this occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? Okay, we know that. We've read that. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. But look at what he adds right here. Rise and stand on your feet. I have prepared, I have appeared to you for this purpose. When God appears to you, it's always for a purpose. It's for the end, then what? When you have a heavenly vision and God speaks, if he's speaking to you during my sermon today, you got to do something with it. Many times it's coming up and letting somebody pray for you, coming into agreement where two or more come to agreement. Many times it's writing down. At the end of this message, we're gonna, I'm going to have you take a moment to listen and I'm going to pray that God will drop a vision inside your heart. But when you get it, you got to do something with it. It's for a purpose. I appeared to you for this purpose. What is the purpose? Now, there's seven things we're going to read that were the commission or the purpose for Paul. He says, to make you a minister and witness both of the things which you've seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. And here's the seven things. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, to receive forgiveness from sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then we can see in verse 20 that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. But I want you to see in verse 19 
the Apostle Paul says, therefore, King Agrippa was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. We have to stop being disobedient to the heavenly vision that we've gotten. And some of you are like, man, I haven't gotten a vision. Well, you're going to get one. And what are you going to do with it when you get it? First off, if you're born again, you had to have gotten a vision or you wouldn't have said yes. If you call yourself a Christian, you got a vision somewhere. You had a vision of salvation, of saving grace, God's love. God's given you a vision of something. In fact, truth is, you probably wouldn't be listening to me right now or be here in this service if you didn't have some sort of heavenly vision in your life. But the apostle Paul says, tells the testimony to King Agrippa and he says, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I got rocked midday, blinded, filled with the Holy Ghost. And later he has a trance. He goes back to Jerusalem. He's in a heavenly trance. I'd love to do a series titled Heavenly Trances because they're biblical. Seers are biblical. Prophets have a purpose. I don't see what everybody sees, but I have to have seers around me. David had Nathan and Gad in his life. Prophets and seers. If you're a prophet and seer, you must get into God's design. It takes five to stay alive. You need pastors and evangelists and apostles and teachers. We all need each other. I don't have all the same gifts that, gift set that maybe you do. I have the gift giver in me, but you'll walk different. I can't sing and lead worship the way our worship leaders can. Neither can some of you. But if you're a seer or you're prophetic, you need to get around like-minded people that encourage and cultivate that gift. And that's why this is a prophetic heavenly vision seer church. Do we build, build the kingdom on that? No, we build the kingdom on family, vision, and leadership. And next week, I'm going to teach on heavenly family. And it's going to be a little different than probably what you think it's going to be. And so if you are a visionary, if you're a seer, if you're prophetic, you have to get around other, the prophets are subject to prophets. You have to get around people that understand that. But you have to be obedient to the heavenly vision and do something with what God shows you. So Paul, here's the seven things. I'm going to recap them for you again. Op to open the eyes of the blind, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, to receive forgiveness of sins, to obtain the, their inheritance. So you have an inheritance to obtain. How do you get it? You get it by faith in Jesus, to repent and turn to God, and to do works befitting of repentance. You know what it means to do works befitting of repentance? I'm not the same man I used to be. It doesn't just mean I stop token, I stop getting blasted, I stop doing all. It doesn't mean that I just stopped. It means I did a new work. Here's a good example. I used to wait tables. I was a professional table waiter for a long time. I waited tables at a restaurant called Steak and Ale. It had the best prime rib and little brown rolls with melty butter on it. And the, the prime rib would, would, I'll stop talking about food, but it was amazing, right? So I was a head waiter and trainer for Steak and Ale. And um, prior to me giving my life to the Lord, I was like the wild life, the, the life of the party in my restaurant. And I always kept a, a, you know, a quarter ounce of weed on me in my pants. And I would trade pot for side work because I wanted to check out to go party. So I would trade pot to the other waiters. Table waiting world is a great mission field. <laughs> I would trade pot for side work. Then I got born again and I was still working there. 
when I went back to the restaurant after I gave my life to the Lord, I was so flamed on on fire for Jesus that I was preaching the gospel to them. And now I was taking their side work without charging them. And I would stay late and clean the tables and the floors for them. And I was the same person, same job, but different person. So I want you to see. So it may not mean that your career changes or your job changes, but you change. They used to know you as the wild child, crazy party, go lucky girl. Now you're the wild child, Jesus freak. And they're going to go, what is it? And at first they're probably not going to like it because they liked you better when you were token. And then I found out who my real friends were because when I wasn't drinking and smoking and partying, they stopped calling. I changed. And I said, I don't do that anymore. So it was weekend after weekend when they were calling, let's go to the club. I'm sitting there at 8.30 at night with my light on laying in my bed, reading my Bible, falling asleep to worship. I traded the club for intimacy in my room alone with Jesus. And God loved that. Oh, he loved that. You must do works befitting of repentance. Repentance produces something. If you've really repented, you live and change. And it may take time. So stop beating yourself up. Just if you fall, get back up. And stop being a jerk and a knucklehead and kicking against the goads. Some of y'all are kicking against the goads and it's like, man, this is so hard. It's actually not that hard. If you just be obedient and let them direct you and prod you and move you in the right direction. So I'm going to close with this. How does this message apply to you? How does this apply? I wrote down a few things. First, you need heavenly vision encounters in your life. Prophetic vision. You need divine revelation that both directs us and enables us to stay the course. This only comes from above. It's not just a one-time thing. I had a heavenly vision then, but I'm constantly living in a place where God is bringing fresh vision and insight on a daily basis. You know what we call that? Give us this day our daily bread. And many times it's just right in the words. Like, I don't ever say, God, I want to see everything that's going up there, going on. I already know a lot of stuff's going on because of the word. So I'm not trying to, to, I'm already seated there and I know what that means. How do I know? Because of the word. God wants me to live here and do something here with what I get from there and bring here. Right? So you have God's word. Get in the word, read the Bible, read of the experiences that Daniel and Ezekiel and John the Revelator had. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I'm just so wrapped up in the presence of God and suddenly I heard a voice like the sound of a trumpet coming from behind me. And I was like, what? No, what? And I looked and I saw. See, you gotta sit, be in position, get in the spirit and listen to what God is saying and wanting to do. Just be in position. If God wants to take you there, here's the other thing. I don't advise that you pray that he takes you there because Paul was left for dead when he had his third heaven vision. (laughs) Stephen, right before his death. Oh my God, see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Yeah, but you're about to be there in person in a second. (laughs) Just let God do it. Just be obedient. Just worship. Sit at his feet. Love Jesus. Keep it simple. Don't ever give up. Repent. 
Cry out for mercy. Turn off the news. You know, you know how much news I've watched since Friday? About a whole 10 minutes because I already know what's all over the news right now. And the problem is some of you, as soon as you put your eyes on that, it gets in your spirit, the hatred, the rage, the anger, and you don't have a good narrative and grid of how to process that. Mainly because you're not looking at him. If you look at this without seeing him, this will make you combust. Fear, anger, hatred. And what will happen is, is you'll start to fight the way they're fighting. Few will pay the price, beloved. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road to life. And few there are that find it. Find the road to life and stay there. All right, next is be obedient. Immediate encounters should produce immediate action that lasts a lifetime. I had to cut off friends. I had to literally remove myself. I had to change my phone number. I had to get out my giant brick phone that costs a thousand bucks a month and disconnect it. Well, first I had one in a little bag that plugged into my lighter. I traded some cocaine for it. I pawned that for 50 bucks. It was once worth thousands. Kind of just wish I had it just as a prop today. But I needed that 50 bucks then. Some of you are like, I don't know what the vision. Here's the thing about Paul's vision. Paul's vision was actually Jesus's vision. And so if you, you could just grab onto these seven things. In Luke chapter four, Jesus is like, hey, here's why I'm anointed. Just do what Jesus did. Follow the vision. Rescue the widow, the orphans. Defend the fatherless. Love on people. Be obedient. Stay in position. Do what God tells you to do. Grab onto the vision he had. Don't be afraid to have heavenly visions. Ask for them, desire them, and look for them. Everybody dreams. But some of you are like, oh, I don't, I don't dream. Like, no, that's not true. You just don't remember your dreams. So I challenge everyone before you go to bed. I lay hands on my kids before bed, both hands, every single night. I've been doing it for my daughter for nine and a half years. I lay hands on her, and I do it for my other kids too, and I breathe life, and I pray prophecy because I want to be like Philip, who had virgin daughters that prophesy. So I'm on a mission to make sure my daughters will prophesy. So I lay hands on them and say, you will be prophetic. You have the gift of God inside your life. You are full of the Spirit. You are a mighty woman of God. I declare dreams and visions in your life. And she's had them. And I do it for my other two children. You got to desire it. You got to go after it. You got to want it. So don't be afraid. Don't discount what God can do with the Pauls of today. Maybe you know somebody that's just like Paul. There's a lot of people out there dividing up the church right now. And they think they're doing right, but it's tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't be a Paul. Don't be a Christian Pharisee. I've said it so many times. I want to love perfectly, but I have a life to live and put my pants on and struggle with struggles too. I won't judge you. You don't judge me. Let's love well and compare it to the spirit and take it all to God first. I got to take you to God. You know, I got to take you to God because some of y'all are messed up. <laughs> it's all right. We can self-deprivate a little bit. So don't discount what God can do. And the last thing I'm going to say to you is stop kicking against the code. Some of y'all are so intellectual. You're so bullheaded in your head. 
You got church hurt, you got past hurts, you've seen dysfunction, you've seen all kinds of division, you're consumed with the thoughts of the world, you've thrown pastors out, you've thrown churches out, and you're kicking. Kicking. But here's the problem. Every time you kick, Jesus has got a bigger rod. And every time you do that and you push him away, you're actually kicking against the goat of God. And you're making things more difficult for yourself and for the people that love you and that are around you. You must surrender all and forsake all. You need to be born again and repent and come back in. Now, I'm not gonna try to make you look like me or somebody else. We don't need religious robots. You need to look like Jesus and you need to find what that looks like. You all have a unique thumbprint in your life. God has uniquely designed you and created you and you'll never look exactly like anybody else. You need a vision shift. Let's say that I need a vision shift. Shift my vision, Lord. All right, close your eyes for a moment. You're sitting under the shadow. This church is bathed in prayer. This church is filled with the cloud of God's presence and you're sitting in it. under the shadow of his wing. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it. All you can do is say yes to it and surrender all. Surrender all, beloved. Surrender your family, your children, your future, your career. All is all. The issues, the struggles, the challenges, lay it down. Lord, I pray. I pray for mercy, Lord. Have mercy, God. I pray for divine revelation, prophetic vision, and that we would stay restrained and find peace and joy and happiness in the restraint of your word, the restraint of your truth, and the restraint of your direction. We need direction, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to see, God, what you want us to see.
Today, before you go, if any of those things resonated with you that Kevin sang about or this message spoke to you, I want you to leave it here. I want you to come up to the front and sit at his feet. We have some time before you have to get your children. What if you sat and listened and let God wash over you and heal you? Leave it here. This is a place where you're safe. You don't have to take it home. You know how many times I've cried at the altar in my life? Hundreds. Don't take it home. Come up today. Prayer partners, you can come up too. If you want somebody to stand with you, they'll stand with you. But if you want to just stay at your seat, kneel down on the ground, come to the front, whatever it is you want to do, just let the Lord wash over you. Get a fresh vision from heaven. Fresh vision. God always has the upper hand. God always has the upper hand. He has declared the decree. Today you are my son. You are my daughter. I've declared the decree, says the father. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Kiss the sun today. Allow yourself to be broken. No more kicking.